0: Hey, would you stand up with me this morning as we get started? And uh, as we get started, as we get into the word, Yeah, we've been going, man. It's been amazing. Put your hands on your heart, would you? Holy Spirit, I thank you for every person here. Lord, I ask for ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what well, you have for us. Thank you for what you've done already. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for what you're about to do. We love you. Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Then take your Bibles, open them up to Revelation. Oh, it wasn't now. Yeah, yeah. We're we're excited today because we're going to be doing baptisms, and uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, also I want to mention this, I mentioned September 10th, but August 30th, we're going to be starting a seven-week course on intimacy with God, it's going to be on Wednesday night, it's going to be in our corner room over here, you can actually just park on this side on Wednesday nights, and come in the side door, but if you're interested in taking a seven-week course on the intimacy, on intimacy with God, which is basically prayer, it's going to be a lot about prayer, um, then I want to invite you to come and be a part of that if, if you want to be. And there's youth and there's there's kids. We've got stuff for youth, stuff for kids uh, on that night, and it's, it's a wonderful family night on Wednesday night, and usually, usually about an hour, hour and 20 minutes. And so anyway, um, how many of you, how many of you can remember a definitive time where you encountered God for the first time? I mean, where he became real to you. It wasn't just you know, I mean, I remember when I was six years old and I prayed to receive Jesus for the first time, and I was basically just hell, scared of hell. I'm going to get saved because I'm scared of hell. I do not want to go to hell, and that was my motive, you know, in getting saved, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because that was all the understanding that I had, but I remember when I was 15, my parents used to send me to a summer camp every year, and I'm grateful that they did, all except that one camp. They were all amazing except that one Camp you sent me to, but anyway, she knows what John I'm talking about. This is my mom, by the way, on the second row. Um, but anyway, but we would go to camp, and camp back then does not look like camp today. I mean, I go to camp today, and it's like a, it's just short of a theme park. I mean, you've got yeah, you got go t- go carts, you got zip lines, you got water slides, you got all this stuff, and I and I'm like okay. At our youth camp, we had no air conditioning. We had a volleyball net and a pool. And it was a play pool, usually. There was limited on how many kids could get in. And then if you were lucky, you got a gymnasium where you could play at least basketball or a basketball goal or something. And but so here was the schedule at this camp. Monday. I won't give you the whole week, but the every day looked the same. Devos, breakfast, two morning sessions, lunch, afternoon session, and then free time. Got to go swim, got to go play volleyball. And then came took shower, had dinner, and then night service. So at this camp, there were five different youth groups, and we were all a part of this one camp. And there, so you had 250 kids that were at this camp. And so each youth group had a youth band. I played drums in our youth band. And so each youth band would lead worship. And it just so happened our turn came on Friday night. Well, how many of you know you've got Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noontime, and Jesus when the sun goes down, and you're just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all week long. So by the time you got to Friday night, everybody was like, "Ah," you know, you had no idea what was about to happen. And I remember our worship team, we got all set up, and and we're playing some warm-up music while the kids are coming in, getting seated in the pavilion. And here they all come, and then the youth pastor, one of the youth pastors comes in and says, all right, guys, come on in, come on in, all right, let's pray. And we prayed, and he said, now we're going to start worship. And during that whole warm-up, it was like, I don't know what's getting ready to happen. Something's getting ready to happen. I mean, you know how you can just kind of anticipate something's, something's getting ready to happen. And so we started the first song. I mean, from the very first note. The Spirit and the presence of God just filled that pavilion. And, I mean, kids started falling out. Kids started crying and and coming to the altar. And kids started, uh, girls that we knew that hated each other, were embracing and crying and forgiving one another. I mean, it was like this amazing revival broke out. And I literally, kid you not, this first song that we started lasted four hours. Four hours. And you didn't even, you didn't even mind. You didn't even care. Because of everything that you saw God doing. His presence was just ministering to every single person. Every place. That experience marked me. It marked my life because I encountered the God that was real. I had a very sobering thing happen months ago when we were meeting at the Jones Center, and this young guy, John will remember this young guy, came forward at the end of service. And on one of the screens, we had the, we just had Jesus on the screen. It was the only thing that was on the screen. And he came up to me, and he had this adi- he had this you know how those young guys do, and he said, he said, I want you to, I want you to prove to me why he's real. Well, of course, everything I learned in Bible school didn't ever deal with that. Um, Being asked that question, just kind of, I was like, I wanted to say, well, my name's Phil. Well, you know, nice to meet you, So I'd never seen him before, but I didn't. I just looked at him. I said, Holy Spirit, I need your help. And the Holy Spirit gave me what to say. I said, "I said, let me tell you something. I can't prove to you that he's real with the words of my mouth. But John and I can lay hands on you and pray for you. And you can encounter God right now. And he goes, all right. So, yeah. So John and I laid hands on this guy. We began to pray. And he collapsed to the ground, started to cry. And God began to minister to him. And he encountered God. And my prayer, yeah, my prayer is that every single one of you in this room, if you have not encountered God, that you would encounter him for yourself. Why, Phil? Because it's one thing when it's real to me, but I can't make it real for you. You have to experience it yourself. You have to have the encounter yourself. When uh, when we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, our um, our, our uh, uh, Becca were in their kind of preteens and teens uh, season of life, <clears throat> and we had something happen in Louisville, Kentucky, where uh, one family gave our family a van, and then not very long after that, a businessman gave me his SUV, and my kids were like, "Wow, that's that's cool." You know, it was really, it was really neat. And I remember Zach and Becca when they got to the driving age, they said, Dad, do you think God would give us a car? I said, Yeah, I do. I believe he would. If you want to believe him for it. And I remember stepping back in my heart. Gary was reminding me of the story yesterday. I stepped back in my heart and said, God, that's on you. You're You're the one that's going to have to show yourself, prove yourself to them. Because I'm not going to try and make God look good. I'm not going to give my kids a car unless the Lord tells me to give them a car. You know? Because I don't want them looking to me. And so what happened was a buddy of mine... I remember that I remember distinctly it wasn't very long after that the buddy of mine calls me and he says hey Phil you know my dad passed away right I said yeah I remember he said well I'm going through his stuff here in hot springs and he has this he has this really not, this nice little car it's a Kia and he said it's great on gas and he said I, I was praying about what to do with it he said I'm really feeling to give it to Rebecca and Zach what do you think I just thought, you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) I mean, here God is proving himself to Rebecca and Zach. I had nothing to do with it, so they can't pin it on me. They can't say, well, my parents are trying to make God look real, look good to me. No, they encountered him for themselves. And you know what that causes them to do? They step back and they go, oh, yeah, God is real. See, nobody can take that away from them. Because now they've had an experience. Think about it. Jesus would go around and he would heal people. They've had an experience. They've encountered Jesus. You can't talk them out of that. This is why we desire so much for every single person in here. To encounter him. And I I believe, God, that you're going to do that today. Amen? Amen. Oh, but the devil's so crafty. One thing about youth camp that was nice is, of course, back then, nobody had cell phones. <laughs> I mean, you know, cell phones were kind of unheard of. We heard of walkie-talkies, but not cell phones. And uh, so, so I'm at youth camp, and there's nothing there. Nobody's got a cell phone, and you're away from the television. So there's nothing to distract you other than just your brain. If you don't want, you know, if you want to be distracted. And so... You're, you're isolated. But what I've discovered about technology is technology really kind of isolates us. It, it gets, a, you know, all, all the social media sites are designed to scroll forever. You'll see all of the stuff that you have interest in, and then you'll start seeing stuff that you don't have interest in. Because they're going to keep it scrolling to keep you engaged. And so I, I, many of you have probably seen this picture. I was thinking about this picture of this guy that had this experience that's going to come up on the screen. No? We don't have a picture? Hey, there it is. Yeah. I mean, look at this guy. He's on his phone. Here comes a whale. Whale surf. Man, we don't want to miss the things that God has for us. Amen? Because we're distracted. Oh, uh, okay. All right. So have you found Revelation 2? Revelation 2. Revelation is the last book of the Bible, by the way. Yeah, in case you were wondering, where's where's Revelation? Very last book. But I want to read to you uh, out of chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this. Now, this is Jesus talking. Jesus has shown up uh, to John. John is on the Isle of Patmos, and here's, here comes Jesus. And he sees Jesus in his glory, and he passes out. He faints, blacks out when he... Jesus helps them come to, and he says, don't be afraid, but write down what I tell you. And here he says in Revelation 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear with those who are evil, and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. When Paul wrote the epistle to the church at Ephesus, to the Ephesians, when he wrote that epistle, it was one of the only epistles that he didn't bring correction in. If you go back and you read Ephesians, it's it's all encouragement, it's all encouraging the church. Put on the armor of God that you may be with, able to withstand the evil one. And so he's encouraging the church. And look at their track record here. He talks about their track record. They have hard work. They have patient endurance. They hate what is evil. They can discern what's genuine and what's disingenuine, what's not genuine. They understand what suffering is without giving up. How many of you would like to be able to stand before God and be able to say, have him say all these things about you? oh man yeah but then he goes on verse four nevertheless i have this against you that you have left your first love everybody say first love first love love is a position it's first place in the greek it means most important not more important most important wow See, when Jesus becomes our, our first love, it changes everything about the way we live. Everything. It changes the way we make decisions. It changes uh, who we select to marry. It changes the way we pick churches. You know, one of the most, dis- not discouraging, but just disheartening things that I hear people say when it comes to church yeah, we're, well, we, we've been going to this church for about a month, and we're trying it out. Oh, okay, so you're trying it out. How's that going? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's okay. I'm like, I'm waiting for them to hear, to hear them say, we're praying and asking God if this is where we're supposed to be. Because people select a church like they're shopping for a house. Does it have the the amenities that I want? Does it have the benefits? Let's talk about the children's ministry. Let's talk about all the programs. Let's talk about, you know, all the... And I, and I hear people talking about everything except, have you prayed about this? What if you ask God, God, where am I supposed to be planted? One person told me, well, God God's telling me to not go to church for a season. No, he's not. That's totally the devil well how can you say that well because it goes against scripture forsake not the gathering together of the saints hello that's that's a command that's not a suggestion you know or then we got flower pot christians you might you don't mind if i step on some toes this morning do you you brought some steel-toed boots didn't you right yeah then we got the flower pot christians What are the flower pot christians these are the people that go everywhere but never grow Because they're restricted to the pot because they won't put roots down. It's not until you take the plant out of the pot and put it in the ground that it draws on the nutrients of the ground, and it can grow, and boy, can it grow. Maybe I should try that over. So the pot, the potted (laughs) plant, (laughs) you guys getting what I'm saying? How many are going, yeah, Phil, we we get what you're saying. No, but it's, it's it's an issue in the body of Christ. I see people that want to grow in God, but they're not willing to plant. There's so much nutrients that you get from the people around you. And if you never stay at a place long enough to where people can get to know you, you won't grow in the areas of God that you need to grow. Because people around here, I don't know what it's like at other churches, but you can't hide out at Vision Church. It's very difficult to hide out here, because we're going to love on you, and you're not going to be like, Don't hug me until we're going to love on you, until you embrace us back and say, "You know, this is cool." You know And, and people are going to get to know you, and they're, they're going to be able to hold you accountable for the things in your life that, otherwise, how are, you, how are we accountable to anybody? Wow. That wasn't even in the notes, but it was good. All right, first love. First love. Let's get back to first love. You know what I've recognized about first love? First love is the, oh, it enables you to love your father and serve him the way you've you've always wanted to. Does that make sense? First love, just—it's like it's not hard because I love you. I want to spend time with you. I think about Nicole and I, and we had a long distance relationship. We were a thousand miles apart. I was Tulsa, Oklahoma, Phoenix, Arizona, and we would write letters, and that was—that was our relationship. No internet, no social media, none of that. We're writing. We're sticking le- stamps on letters, writing letters to each other, and I could not wait. To receive that next letter. Why? Because I'm in love. Well, guess what Jesus called himself? He said the son of man. He compared himself and alluded to himself as the what? The bridegroom. And then what does he call you? You're the bride. And yet people talk about the rapture like it's it's an escape. Oh, I can't wait until Jesus comes back. I can finally get out of here. Well, it's not an escape. It's a marriage. He's coming back for a bride that's without spot and without wrinkle. You know how you get the wrinkles out? First love. That's your iron. That was, I need to write that down because that just popped out. Okay, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. He said, therefore, remember... He's given you the answer now how to return to first love. Remember where you were before you fell. How many of you have been either married or you're you're a widow and you were married 10 years? Put your hand up if you've been married 10 years, even if you were a widow. That'd be you, Mom. All right. (laughs) 15 years. Keep them up. 15, 20 25, 30, 35, I'm going to put my hand down, 40, get it up Lance, get it up, come on man, 40, 45, 50, 55, wow, how many years Lance, how many years? Mom, how many years were you were you and Dad married? 54 years. Do you, even after all that time, Lance and Mom, do you remember the first love that you had with my dad? Do you remember that first love? You remember your first love with Nancy? What was the first date you guys went out on? The first date. Date. First date. Dance at junior college. Is that? Did you meet her there? Or did you take her there? Well, I met her at the junior college. And did you have feelings coming up on the inside of you? <laughs> did you have first love feelings flowing through you? Even after fifty years, you still remember first love. You still remember what it was like. I I remember after 31 years, I I can still remember the first letter that I penned to Nicole and how nervous I was in sending her that first letter, thinking she won't even respond to it. Miracle happened. I got a letter back in a week. That's a miracle with the post office. So look at what he says. He says, remember where you were before you fell. Turn from sin and do what you used to do before. You know, one thing I've noticed about Hollywood, especially Hallmark, I mean, how many of you know the Hallmark film, boy meets girl, they might not like each other at first, but they, about halfway through the movie, they're, they're finally working things out and get together, right? Three quarters of the way through the movie, conflict. Now we are broke up. And then all that leading to the climactic kiss at the end, right? This is the Hallmark. Do I have it right, or am I just, okay. All right, yeah, this is, but this is Hollywood, Hollywood knows the chase they understand the chase they understand boy chasing girl you know they get together and everything building up to they wind up together at the end of the movie right or they kiss or they run off in the sunset Disney has that thing they used to put on the on those old old movies that said and they lived happily ever after right so so they understand the chase But then if they do a sequel, they got to figure out a way to break up the couple so that they can do the chase again. Have you ever noticed that? Because it's like, okay, because we don't know what to do with them after they get married. Because everybody after they get married winds up splitting up, life gets terrible, kids go awry. I mean, that's, that's Hollywood. But let me tell you, I actually wrote a song called I'm Not Gonna Sing It don't ask. But it was for our wedding. I wrote a song to Nicole called Happily Ever After. Because what? No, I'm not going to prove it. <laughs> so the, the, the thing about the movie the, the, the movie, the song was that God had somehow dropped it in my heart that I wanted to experience happily ever after. I'd always seen that tag on the end of those movies. And I said, God, I want to experience happily ever after how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, he gave us the answer. He said, return to what you did before. So what does that mean? The chase is not over. The chase is not over. It's a continual pursuit of my love for this lady right here. It's a continual pursuit. It's a continual chase. It's not over. I'm glad it's not. Over. It's a continual pursuit. He said, go back to the things that you used to do before. We, uh, on our 30th, I think it was our 30th anniversary. Um, one of the ladies that, <clears throat> I used to work a temporary job and one of the ladies I worked with, she, she found out that we wrote letters to each other and that was how we fell in love through the mail. And, um she said well what are you doing for your 30th anniversary i said you know i'm not sure yet i'm really thinking about it and she said well you should write her a letter after all those years so you know i did i pinned her a letter and i stuck it in the mail and mailed it to to myself (laughs) to nicole It, it was cool what am i doing i'm returning to the first things that i did let me tell you something feeling follows action All you married couples know really well that feeling follows action. When I walk toward that, when I hold my wife's hand, and, you know, we like to cross fingers. You know, I I don't know what you call that. Is that interlock, interlock your fingers? Waffle. Waffle? That's what that's called, waffle. So, yeah, so I like to waffle with my wife. And... I have never heard that before. So so, so we're walking down through the mall. We're in, we're in Hot Springs, you know, and we're walking down in front of the bathhouses and stuff, and we're waffling with our fingers. And, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, people behind us are probably thinking, that sweet older couple, I mean, they probably just got married two weeks ago. You know, I mean, do you ever have those thoughts? You know, like they think we've only been married for... Why? Because in the world's mind first love is oh you know you're in that honeymoon phase you'll get over it you just wait that phrase right there those three words to me are the most some of the most dangerous words in the English vocabulary you just wait because I never heard anything encouraging after you just wait you just wait the newness of your marriage will wear off who says who says who says who says that the newness of your salvation has to wear off who says that your love for him and said so, well you need you just need to calm down you know this is a marathon tell your wife to calm down when she's loving on you yeah, see how well that goes calm down sweetheart Want the couch or okay. So what happens? A couple gets married. This is just theoretical. It's not about anybody. Couple gets married. Man feels like he accomplished the task. He got what he went for. And so now he lets himself go. What's he done? He's abandoned first love. He's abandoned first love. I love what God said in Jeremiah chapter 2. Rebecca, could you come and help me? Jeremiah, but lightly. I mean, you've got that monster keyboard thing going this morning, so go go easy on me. Because here's the thing God is still pursuing us. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. This scripture is so sweet. It's, it's an image of the Father because you and I are in a continual pursuit of him. But here's the, here's the amazing thing. He is pursuing us. He's pursuing us. Look at what he says in Jeremiah 2. He says to the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I want you to say this to the children of Israel. Go and cry out in the hearing of Jerusalem saying, thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. When you went after me, in the wilderness and in the land sown. Look at God reminiscing here. Look at God going back and he's saying, man, I remember when you went after me. I I remember what that was like. I remember how I felt to know that you're pursuing me, that you're coming after me with all of your heart. Look at what he's saying, see, because God wants to be chased. See, God will never be a second. He will, not, he will not accept second place. You know it talks about lukewarm? Lukewarm is having other things before God. He says, no, I, I, I've got to be the most important in your life. See, he, he works out everything in our life, but if he's not the first love of our life, then that means something else is. Man. Wow, 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 wow. I want to... uh... See, in order for us to make him first, then that means we've got to rip up every other phone number, got to get rid of every other picture. What did you do when, when you married your spouse? You you started dating her, and, and you knew that, that this was the one God had for you. You got rid of everything else. Why? Because she became your one love. She became your first on earth. But see, God is supposed to be our first. That when, that when we, yeah, there's something. That when there's a that when there, there is a, <clears throat> yeah, sorry, yeah, kamikaze fly. So he wants to be first. He won't settle for second. He won't settle for second. I didn't make the rules. I, I, all I'm doing is preaching the word of God to you. That's all I'm doing. But I will tell you this, that many of you have been to our home and we're, we're blessed. We, we really love the home that God has blessed us with. But I want you to know this. I know this for certain. That if God told me to sell it today, it'd be gone. Heartbeat. Why? Because what he wants is more important to me than what I want. If stuff gets in front of him, then that means that stuff is our Lord. If a relationship with a, with a boyfriend, girlfriend, a spouse gets in front of him then that means that they're more important than he is one of the top things that I looked for when I remember we were we were I, I was dating Nicole when we started dating one of the most important things to me was that she loved God more than she loved me that he would be first in her life because I can be really good at being second I'm, not, I'm a terrible first place. See, a lot of people struggle with this. Man, they think about their spouse or they think about their kids. And I'm telling you, man, there's no better place to put your kids than in the hands of God. There's no better place. Wow, I'm gonna ask those that are getting baptized today, would you come forward? I'm gonna ask you to come forward and just line up right here. In front, and then John, if you can help me here, come on over here, guys. Line up right here. Stand about this second square back, and go ahead and face me. Go ahead and step over there. Yeah, yeah. We got Miss Penny and us. Where's Sarah? She? Oh, not today. Okay. Great. Well, these guys, you guys are the ones that are getting baptized this morning. and So I want to, I want to, I just want to mention a couple of things to you because this is a very sacred, very holy thing that you guys are, are doing. Because what you're doing is you're choosing to participate in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So that when you go into the water, and when you go back into the water and you come out, it's a burial. When you were born again, do you know that Jesus didn't change you? He replaced you. He made all things new. You became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Means you got the new car smell. So I just want you to know and understand the significance of today. So I need to ask you an important question: Is have you repented of sin in your life, and have you abandoned the world, and, you, and have you pushed everything to the middle and said, "God, I'm all in"? Yes. Yeah, Wyatt. Come on, Alyssa. Got your name right, Benny. Wow. Would you extend your hands toward these? Father, I just thank you for each one of these. God, I thank you for Wyatt, Morgan, Alyssa, for Gabby. God, thank you for this decision that they've made. Thank you, God, for what you're about to do. Lord, that the old man is being permanently buried. And I thank you, Lord, that they are being raised in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for it in Jesus' name.